It's Wednesday, January 1st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. First, we speak to Joanna Stern from The Wall Street Journal, who asked a certified ethical hacker to get into as many of her webcams as he could. He was easily able to get into her system, snapshots of her, and even spy on her child through a Wi-Fi connected baby monitor. Joanna joins us for some tips on how to protect yourself and the big realization, we are often our own worst enemies. Next, a company called Digital Recognition Network has built a private nationwide surveillance database that could potentially track the movements of car owners over long periods of time. This network is built on the backs of repo men equipped with cameras that scan license plates of every car that they drive by and then add it to a searchable database accessible to private investigators, repo agents, and insurance companies. Joseph Cox, senior writer at Vice's Motherboard, joins us to talk about DRN and how well it works. Vice was able to track someone using this surveillance tool. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And I'm it. People are pretty boring. You can see what they're up to. Usually not up to much. And I should probably let her know that I'm able to see her. Joining us now is Joanna Stern, personal tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal. You did something that I've been super curious about for a long time, as everybody might know somebody who has their desktop computer or their laptop computer, always puts a little piece of tape or a post-it, something to block that webcam viewer because you never know. And that's always the question. It's like, why are you hiding your camera? It's like, ah, you never know. You never know who could be spying on you. For an experiment, you actually got an ethical hacker. This is somebody who does this stuff for a living to hack into uh, your computers, your laptops to see what they could find and to see how easy it was. Tell us about this experiment. He definitely figured out how to watch me with my approval, with my consent. He watched me in my home. He watched through a baby monitor. So he watched my son as well. But I really did this all to see, one, what the likelihood of someone wanting to break into your webcam is, and then two, how easy is it? And then there's a third part of that too, which is what can we do to protect ourselves if this is a genuine threat and someone may really want to watch you through your webcam? I love the quote that you had in there. When a hacker sent me a photo of my son after breaking into the baby monitor on my Wi-Fi, my thought was, I'm an idiot. And with a lot of what this uh, is going on here... It is our own fault. We're like our own worst enemies when it comes to this. A hundred percent. And that's really what I got to at the bottom of this is it's human vulnerability versus device or network vulnerability that seem to be the main way that hackers can get to us now. And that really is because so many of the protections in the operating systems and in our phones and in the software has become so good that... The hackers tried to entice you through phishing, spear phishing, which is a method of just posing as somebody you may know in an email. In the case of this hacker, he devised a pretty smart plan, right? He saw that I had posted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that I was looking for a video producer. And he said, well, if I was a hacker, I would just use that information and say, she's looking for a video producer. You asked for two files in this job posting, or you asked for two pieces of collateral. You asked for a resume and you asked for a video reel. And so those are my two ends. He sent two different documents, depending on what kind of computer I was 
was on. He sent a document and then he sent a link to another file. And so presumably that would be the video file where I click this video and hope to watch it, but really it would be a piece of malware downloading to my computer. And the good news is, is that he was, well, two pieces of good news. One, he was using very basic hacking tools, off-the-shelf hacking tools that white hack hackers use to test vulnerabilities of devices and networks and companies, etc. So he wasn't using very advanced technology here to do this. But the good news is, is that he sent these things and the barriers both built into the Mac OS, built into Windows OS, alerted me, right? They alerted me that this was a virus or something shady here was going on. I also knew I was being hacked. And what I sort of realized along the way was, if someone doesn't know this, these could be things that people would intentionally disable or just think as everyday occurrences. I think you mentioned a few times in the article of just how some of these pop-ups are annoying or they're an inconvenience when we're actually trying to get something done. Maybe we want to download a program, an open source program, something like that. And we do have to disable some certain things along the way. I know I've done that before and then re-enable them after, thankfully. Sometimes they are to that point of annoyance where you're like, okay, whatever, whatever, click it, click it, whatever you need to click to get through to the end, you're going to do it. And if you're not paying attention close enough, you might open yourself up to these vulnerabilities. One thing that was also like really enlightening to me was just how important some of the stuff we take for granted is. I mean, we've all heard how important passwords are, but it really, for me, wasn't until the hacker, Alexander Hyde, who worked with me on this project, he was like, I can't get into your Nest camera. The only way I could get into your Nest camera is to know your passwords here. You know, I really wanted to try the Nest camera because it's the most popular connected Wi-Fi camera camera and there's been lots of talk right now about the security of it. So he said to me, I would need to know your unique password and username for that. And he said, well, I guess I could key log you, right? I could install something on your computer and track all your passwords and eventually get it. He's like, well, I'm not going to do that. But I could also just go into this database of publicly available username and passwords that have come from the numerous breaches over the last number of years, everything from the Yahoo breach to the LinkedIn breach. And those end up on the internet in, in a public space where hackers can get to them or any security security expert can get to them. So he just typed in my email and up came this password that I used to use maybe three or four years back. And, you know, I was like, oh, wow, like just seeing that on his computer screen made me realize, like, have I been as secure as I need to be with my <laughs> right. passwords? I use a password manager. I always try to remember to use a different password every time. But like, oh, maybe that old account that I slipped there. It really enforced in me, like, how important these things that we do every day are to protecting I mean, not only our face, but all of our digital information. The other thing you mentioned is obviously installing all of those security and uh, operating system updates for your phone, laptops, routers, even your thermostats, you know, anything that connects to the Internet, yeah. because those are the security updates that are going to be helping you. Tell us the bottom line. Watch what you're doing on the Internet. Be wary of everything. And when your computer is telling you this could be a problem, this could be a virus, you should probably trust it. Yes to all of those things. Uh, my Again, uh, passwords are important. I, I got my editor to let me leave that in all caps because I just it feels like something we always hear. I'm like, we're beat over the head with it. But like when you see that that password is out there, they can get access to so many things if you're not safe about that, about keeping that password. You guys made a great video for the Wall Street Journal. So we'll link to that also so everybody can get a look and see pictures of your <laughs> webcam being hacked. Joanna Stern, personal tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Hopefully you're not looking at me through my webcam right now. <laughs> But from everything that we can tell, it is nationwide 
uh, or nearly in every state. Of course, it then depends, you know, whether a repo man has actually driven past that area. If you're in a city, it's going to be a lot more dense with a lot more cameras. If you're in the middle of nowhere, maybe your vehicle hasn't been caught. Joining us now is Joseph Cox, senior writer at Vice's Motherboard. Thanks for joining us, Joseph. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about an interesting company and tool. It's called DRN, Digital Recognition Network. And what this company and this tool is, is it's basically a nationwide surveillance database that could potentially track people and the movements of car owners over long periods of time. It's interesting the way this whole thing has been built through repo men, really, and these cameras that this company has given them, and they track license plates, they photograph license plates, it goes into this database, and anybody with access to this tool can really follow the movements of these license plates of these cars pretty easily. Tell us a little bit more about Digital Recognition Network, uh, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you summed it up really well. And I would just stress again that this is not a database created by government, although law enforcement can also pay for access as well. It is, as you say, created entirely by a private company. And they um, sell or give these cameras to repo men who drive around and they sort of simultaneously benefit from the database, which is that if they pass a vehicle and the system says, hey, that, that vehicle is marked repossession, you can go get it. So they get that benefit as well. But as they drive around, it scans, it continually updates the database sort of simultaneously. Uh, and even though repo men are the ones who are, you know, primarily building this database, they're certainly not the only ones using it. It's also accessible by insurance firms, and in the case of my source, who looked up a plate for us, they were a private investigator. And they could use that data for everything from tracking, you know, a spouse that someone suspects of cheating, right up to sort of repossessing a car, something like that. There's a wide spectrum of use and potentially abuse uh, of this data. Right. Yeah, these stories are always very interesting to me. You know, we all we see a lot of stuff in TV and movies, and you just kind of naturally think this stuff is widely available and then you read a story like this and you're like, wow, that stuff actually is true. So that's why these things are always mm. interesting to me. We did an interview previously on the podcast with a skip tracer and we were asking her, hey, you know, some of the methods that you use to track people down. And for obvious reasons, she didn't want to reveal any trade secrets or anything. But then I read this article and I was like, well, this might be exactly one of the types of tools that she's using. So you did get in touch with somebody who helped you use this service and look up a license plate. How did that whole thing play out? Yeah, so we've been covering sort of um, sort of similar to what you touched on then, the tools that skip tracers or bail bondsmen, private investigators or bounty hunters. Of course, they're not all one and the same thing, but they do often make use of the same sort of tools. Uh, previously, we did um, an investigation on where you could track cell phone tracking data. Uh, as in the location of someone's phone and bounty hunters were doing that. After that sort of reporting, more people reached out and eventually a private investigator with access to this DRN system got in touch. And then, of course, I wanted to verify that the um, system worked as advertised. And then that's how we devised this sort of test. Because, I mean, to be clear, DRN has been around for, you know, around 10 years now. It is not a new system. It has been building up over that time. It's around 9 billion scans now. But to try and give the readers a sense sort of a more tangible, concrete sense of what this tool actually is, we thought we would 
actually use it. So we gave a license plate to the private investigator who looked it up, and then they did see that, well, the person's car is parked here, then it's over here, and now it's in a different state. And then I gave that information to um, the person who gave us consent to be tracked, and they gave us a bit of context, like, oh, yeah, that's that photo is outside my house. Uh, that is when a member of the family drove to go see someone else in a different state. So it is possible to track wow. people, as you say, over a long period of time and in potentially um, sensitive situations. I mean, throwing back to an older case from years and years ago now, but a police officer was using similar technology to sort of uh, surveil and catalogue people who were driving and parking outside a gate and then trying to extort them. That's a long time ago, but this is the similar sort of technology uh, today that could be used for that as well. So how much does this cost? The DRN, it seems, charges uh, $20 to look up a license plate. That's not very expensive at all. Right, yeah, it is relatively cheap. Once you get access um, by being a Reaper man or whatever, it's $20 for a lookup and then $70 for a so-called live alert. You know, you'll you'll give it a plate that you want to have constant um, information on, and then whenever the system spots it, it will um, send you an email or some sort of notification. So once you do get in, as it seems to be with a lot of these skip tracing or private investigator tools, once you're inside, it is pretty cheap. Um, to do these lookups. Because, of course, for this community, and especially the bail bondsman ones, let's say there's a bail for 10 grand, they don't want to spend thousands of dollars on this tool. And because this system has been built at such scale, companies like DRN can afford to offer this sort of information at a relatively cheap price. So how wide is the DRN reach? Obviously, the scans can happen throughout the country. Do they have these cameras set up with repo men in every state, pretty much? Yeah, so I won't be super specific on where we did the test and what states or what cities, just to protect, you know, individuals' privacy there. But in our tests, it was um, various states uh, across the country, and I was also sent the results of a scan uh, in a large metropolitan city that was a, like, on a much more granular uh, level. Uh, sort of the other way to go about it, I guess, is look at the states that have pushed back against it with legislation. Uh, there was, you know, one in Utah, but then DRM pushed to get back against that, and that law got um, overturned. But from everything that we can tell, it is nationwide, uh, or nearly in every state. Of course, it then depends, you know, whether a repo man has actually driven past that area. If you're in a city, it's going to be a lot more dense with a lot more cameras. If you're in the middle of nowhere, maybe your vehicle hasn't been caught. But we phrase it in the article as coast to coast, and that does appear to be accurate, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the legality of all this. Mm -hmm. uh, pictures taken in public are protected by the First Amendment, so theoretically, pretty much everything that they're scanning, all these license plates, since it's happening in public, there's no expectation of privacy. It should all be legal, but let's say in the case of uh, a car that needs to be repossessed, something like that, or you know, they're looking for a bad guy, you know, most people are going to say, okay, that's fine, go ahead and, and do this. But they're picking up license plates of everybody, pretty much they pass by potentially. And members of the public mm -hmm. really would have no way to know whether their data has been collected by this or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's sort of two points of the legality. First is the collection of the data, which, as you say, it is legal to go take photos in public under the First Amendment. Um, and that is what DRN says it's doing here. It just says, hey, we're just taking photos in public. Uh, but critics of that, like the American Civil Liberties Union, they will say that at a certain point, 
this qualitatively becomes something else. I mean, this is not the same as a PI driving around and, oh, I happen to find someone's car and I'll take a photo of their plate. This is automated at scale. Uh, and it's not really necessarily what the law uh, had in mind when it was written around this sort of public photography. But then you also have the legality of accessing the data. So after it's been collected, then of course someone wants to go use it. If you're a police officer, uh, when it comes to you know search and seizure, you're going to be doing stuff under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, now, some people believe license plate data should have a warrant. Some say it shouldn't. There's still debates around there, but at least there's a debate around it. When it comes to private companies, I mean, the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to them, right? They can do whatever they want with the data. It would be a repo man, insurance firm, or in our case, a private investigator. So it's almost there are almost fewer protections around the data when it's being used by DRN and private individuals than it would be if it was uh, law enforcement. According to your article, there's over a thousand accounts that have access to the DRN system. And the company itself has said that sometimes there have been the wrong people getting access. You mentioned the potential for abuse of this system. What did they say with regards to that? So it's not entirely clear how the tool has been abused. Uh, the examples we gave are, you know, maybe a jealous ex trying to spy on their spouse. There could be corporate espionage. There could be lots of different things. Uh, but what they did admit, uh, the company in a public uh, council hearing, I believe, was that, yes, people are sharing access. So if I'm a PI and I have a username and a password, apparently people are then giving those to other people who don't actually have authorization to use the tool. Uh, so not only do you have PIs who may be using the software and the system for you know malicious purposes, such as stalking someone or following someone, they can then re-share that access with someone else as well. Uh, and just the issue is sort of what you touched on. We don't know how it's being abused because there's very few avenues to follow up on this. You can't go and, you know, do a freedom of information request to find out if your data was in here because it's a private company. Yeah. Uh, so we know that the access has been abused. We just don't know exactly how yet, but obviously we're hoping to get more information on that. It's like a worse form of sharing your Netflix password with other people. I know that, right. the, I know that the ACLU has spoken up about this with regards to privacy concerns and you did mention already that some states had pushed back on this, but by and large, it seems like this company can continue to operate this way without any more supervision. Yeah, uh, especially at the federal level, there hasn't been any serious um, grappling with this issue. I mean, as we do for a lot of our um, surveillance and privacy articles, I did reach out to a, a number of senators. I can't immediately recall which ones off the top of my head, but nobody really commented on it. And I suspect the reason for that is it is quite difficult for lawmakers to talk about this issue when it's not even clear how you would approach it legally, right? Because of the issue that we brought up is like, well, this is technically legal under the First Amendment taking these photos. So sort of what would you change? Uh, and I imagine that's why there isn't so much movement, at least on the federal level, when it comes to this. States are kind of doing it um, by ear on an individual basis. It's just such an interesting look. Little by little, with technology advancing, there's more and more surveillance, and people are making money off of it. And, and you, you know, you're, you're giving up your data. You don't even know it a lot of times. So it's just an interesting look at to, to what some of these companies are doing. Joseph Cox, senior writer at Vice's Motherboard. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.